and this can be really difficult for small companies because we're so focused on building, right? Like we build so many programs and there's usually nothing there. So we're building and building and building. And sometimes you just need to build a lot before you can measure anything. Like you just don't know what to measure. But I've always been like, just build it. And then we'll, we'll figure out what happened afterwards. Like as long as you build in ways that you can check back on things, like you're fine. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today, I am talking to Carrie Barnett-Howell, the Director of Talent Development at Mission Cloud, where she leads employee growth initiatives and strategies to help every mission team member achieve their professional goals. She has created training and development programs for all career levels with a particular focus on early career and career transitions. With her experience building the talent team at Mission Cloud from the ground up, I am really excited for this conversation. Let's dive in. Okay, Carrie, welcome to the Making Better podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous. Thursday, got a long weekend ahead of us. Couldn't be better. Yeah, long weekend. We're going to the 4th of July weekend right now. Super exciting. Um, we've known each other for quite a while now. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but actually you you might be one of the biggest reasons why Better Video Studios exists right now because you were one of our early, one of my early clients, like long-term clients that um, really set us up on a path. So I am super thankful to count you as a colleague, a friend and everything. So thank you so much for for agreeing to also be on the show today. Yes, I, I never knew that. That's awesome. Yeah, we have worked together for kind of years now, I feel like at this point. Yeah, it's so. been over two years. Yeah, just just over two years now. It's awesome. And so, so um, if you could just give us give give the listeners just a, a little bit of a background on, on on who you are and your background in L&D. Yeah, so my name is Carrie. I am the Director of Talent Development and Mission Cloud. We are a AWS premier partner. Um, we are a cloud consulting company. We're about 300 people now, but I started at Mission when it was about 50 people, so about four years ago. So we have grown quite a bit lots of plans to keep growing. And my job is to provide training and development for the entire company and for people trying to enter cloud careers. So we have a program called Evolution. And what that covers is kind of everything you can think of. So that's our cloud literacy commitment where we sponsor students to study for AWS certification. That's our internships and apprenticeships to get people into cloud careers. And then that's all the career development programs that modern corporations need in this day and age. So leadership development, training programs, training materials, one-on-one coaching, mentoring, all that all that stuff uh, falls under my umbrella. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I've always been really impressed with the kinds of programs you all have, it's it's pretty, especially for you know a startup, you know for you know with a few hundred people. Um, I think I'll actually start there. You know what I want to focus on today is kind of what it's like to to build a team, and I mean fifty people. Like most <laughs> companies do not start an L and D team with fifty people. Um, so what what was that like, and what do you think was kind of the impetus for starting it so early? Yeah, Mission Cloud has always been crazy focused on development, which is awesome. That's one of our core values. We have six core values. One of them is continuous growth. And I know for some companies, core values, I mean, sometimes they have a crazy long list and it's, you know, too much, but, but we really focus in on these. And so continuous growth has always been a value of ours. Um, I had a predecessor before I joined Mission Cloud. So from pretty much day one, they knew that they needed to invest in this. And part of that is just the nature of cloud industries in general. There is an enormous talent gap. There's just not enough cloud engineers for what a lot of these companies want to do. That makes sense. I mean, I think, 
can't remember the exact stats, but I think it was something like we have like 6% of the needed engineers for, for the growth projected. So they knew very, very early on that we needed to have development programs. They also had a really strong sense of stewardship at the beginning. So we feel as though we are stewards of cloud industries and that we have a chance because this is a somewhat early technology we have an opportunity to change the landscape and change the face, especially in terms of diversity and equity in technology. So if we can invest and perhaps even overinvest in development, growth, apprenticeship programs, we have the opportunity to change the narrative around what tech is and especially what cloud industries are. Yeah, and I'm sure that makes sense even more so with you know AI and the huge explosion there because you know, AI is great, but you need a system for that AI to run on. You need data for it to ingest and processes to get that data from wherever it's housed into the AI system and then from the AI system into some customer-facing product. So I can only imagine the growth is only, the need and, and the demands of those skills are only increasing. Yes, and when I joined Mission Cloud, I so my background is not, tech at all. My background is healthcare. I actually have a master's in public health. And so I thought, you know, I was going to be doing all sorts of public health work, running Medicaid programs, that kind of thing. And instead, I kind of crept my way into tech. And I worked at a health tech company for a little bit up in the Bay Area before I moved to Los Angeles and joined Mission. But um, it's so when I joined, I didn't understand the necessity of cloud engineering. Like, I, I didn't know what the internet was. Like, I just genuinely didn't know. It was, you know, <laughs> I was like, there are computers, they work, I don't know, they talk, sure, like, that's fine. But when I finally started to understand, oh, they're like, like, you know, in our, people come to America, they see our highways, and they're like, oh my gosh, your company invested so, your country invested so much in the infrastructure of this, of, of roads, right? And the fact that, like, I in California can drive across the country to Washington, D.C., that's an enormous feat of engineering. It is the exact same on the back end on the internet side. And I had no clue. I had no clue that there were people literally building the infrastructure of the internet and exactly what you were talking about. We have a data analytics and machine learning team that does the exact things you're saying. How do pipeline data from one place to another? How to make it into an ingestible form? How to use the things that you have to be able to, you know, get into AI, get into the technologies that are cutting edge. And so Coming to Mission Cloud, it was like, oh my God, there's this whole world that I just had no idea of, and yeah. here we are, you know. But but these careers are so interesting, and there's so much work to be done, and we're still, I think, a lot of ways the infancy of what it is. And so, yeah, there's space. So it was a really cool way to to start. Like, not only was I a person responsible for others' development, but I also had massive development just by learning about this industry in general. Yeah, absolutely. So so then with that big need and knowledge gap and growth how did you figure out where to start you talked about all the all the programs you have you know it's not like we we all we as learning professionals know you don't snap your fingers and the programs are there how, how did you figure out how to start um chewing chewing on it yeah it was i mean a lot of accidents kind of it was okay. a lot of trial and error and i think you know part of the challenge with a growing startup and, and i think why we're you know you have these conversations with people at small companies is that when you grow at the speed we did the needs that you have at day one are just absolutely not the needs you have at yeah. day you know 600 and so it was a constantly evolving landscape so i was actually when i was prepping for this conversation i was looking back at you know in 2020 what were the goals that i had for the year you know what what were my quarterly goals all that and of course everything got blown up by the pandemic so we had all of these things we were trying to do and then it got you know su super sideways but but the very first goals that i had before we knew any of that was coming were 
internships, building out more internships and uh, certification. So that's kind of where I started was we are a small company and we need to be legitimate in the eyes of the industry. So what does that look like? Well, that looks like we need certifications that prove that we have the knowledge that we say we have. And I know that there's a lot of debate around like, do certifications really work and all that kind of stuff. But it, it was very, very important to us to be at that level where AWS could look at us and say, okay, every one of your engineers is certified. Like we know that you have quality work here, um, yeah. especially because at that point we had just maintained premier partnership. You know, we were sort of at this very infancy level. So that's where I started was like, how do we become legitimate in the eyes of the industry? What do we need for that? And how do we start moving towards the commitments that we've made to bring cloud literacy and cloud careers to other people? And those are my two main objectives for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and I started to tap away at some of the big corporate objectives that, that people always have, like leadership development programs. And I kind of hate those sometimes because they're so <laughs> hard and they're so, they're so hard to do well. And so I tried a bunch of different stuff and we were small enough that we could experiment. You know, I could bring in outside vendors to do trainings. Oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's toss that. Let's try something else. Let's try mentorship. Oh, no, I don't like how I structured that. Let's do this. And sort of, and so it's been four years of honestly like experimentation to see how do we do corporate training and do it better than I've seen it done at other companies. Yeah. I really loved how you started that with you, you it couldn't have been more business focused, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, we're a startup. We need to be seen as legitimate in the eyes of the industry. How do we do that? How can learning help solve that problem? Um, which is just such a business first mindset. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you solve that problem. And then you, it was only after you did that, that you're like, okay, I guess there's this traditional L and D stuff that we, <laughs> that we need to do too. But, you know, I think, a, I mean, a lot of people aren't able to do that. They like think they have to do the one before the other. And it's important to kind of step back and, and question that, I suppose. Um, one, one other thing that you said during that, that I really thought was interesting was I, I know you at mission, you have quarterly goals mm -hmm. and with that fast growth, you know, cause I think a lot of companies, they have, you know, bigger annual goal cycles or they, or they plan a little bit longer. I would guess having that like quarterly cycle baked in really helped with the iteration process of your um, of your learning and development programs. Yeah, it, it, I, I am so surprised by companies that don't do quarterly planning because like, I don't know how you plan for a year and stick to that plan ever. Like I like probably every year I've been at Mission Cloud, we've done annual planning and then like half of those go out the window, you know, very quickly. Like and my boss is going to kill me for saying that, but it does. Um, it's just no every, I think anybody that's being honest is going to agree with that statement. <laughs> you know, it's really hard to know. Like I, you know, you have your goal, of course you want to get somewhere, but, but how you're going to get there is going to change so much. Yes. And, and sometimes quarterly planning is not enough. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we, I mean, I've often gotten a couple weeks into the quarter and been like, Oh no, that's not going to work. Or you finish the objective and then you're like, well, that actually wasn't as useful as I thought. Um, like we just had one recently where we were worrying about, should we implement sales enablement uh, coaching into some of our programs? And we decided against it because the timing wasn't quite right. But we, but the quarterly goal had been to research it and get certified in it and figure out, hey, how do we actually pop this into our program? So we didn't do it, but all the research and the prep for that was a really good idea to say like, okay, this actually isn't the right part. Yeah. But yes, um, we really needed the quarterly planning process because we just switched directions so many times. And like you're saying, in a startup, L&D cannot be L&D focused. It can't be myopic. Like it has to be what is the business need and like literally every single quarter, what are we doing to help that? Otherwise yeah. you kind of don't have a 
point, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned a few of the, you know, iterations that, you know, some of them worked, some of them didn't, some things you decided not to do. What would you say there are like key indicators? What, what are you de- using to determine what's a success and what's not, or what works and, and what doesn't? Yeah, this is something I spent, I mean, I've spent years researching and like, what are the best KPIs for L&D? Yeah. And I think, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that there isn't really a good way to say, because the, the best one, right? Everybody wants to say ROI. Like we prove, yeah. we prove we save the company money in some way. And I, I don't think there's a good way in data to show all of the pieces of like, I did X, Y, and Z, and therefore we saved X amount of dollars. Like sometimes you can have that, but a lot of times you're not going to be able to make that super causal inference of, you know, I implemented this, you know, I have these five programs and employee tenure was good. So therefore I saved us X. Like it's, it's too many steps removed, yeah. but I think the KPIs that I've started to use, and this can be really difficult for small companies because we're so focused on building, right? Like we build so yep. many programs and there's usually nothing there. So we're building and building and building. Yep. And sometimes you just need to build a lot before you can measure anything. Like you just don't know what to measure yeah. until you built the thing. Yes. And so, um, and I know I'm going against like what a lot of books, you know, everything is like, make the program and decide what success metrics are. And I'm never, you know, maybe like, oh, this is not good, but, but I've always been like, just build it. And then we'll, we'll figure out what happened afterwards. Like, as long as you build in ways that you can check back on things, like you're fine. So for example, uh, last year I did a big analysis of all of our evolution programs. So we have a list of, I don't know, like 10 programs in the company that we call our evolution programs. And what I wanted to see is who admission who had gotten a promotion or a role change had used those programs. So who had just like, how many, basically like how many touches had they had with the programs that our departments have? Because I can't like prove that because they had X program, they got the promotion, but I can yeah. say like, if they tended to use more programs than the average bear, that probably shows that, you know, our, the stuff we're doing is working. Yeah. And so the, the, the analysis I did was really positive in that it showed that I think 80% of people who had gotten a promotion or role change had, at that time we had eight programs, had used at least four of the eight programs. So they had touched talent development in a bunch of different ways. They'd gotten support in a bunch of different ways. And so I felt like that was a really powerful statement of the programs we are offering are used by people and the people that are using them are seeing career growth, you know, like, like maybe it's not like the exact straight arrow, but those, those things did help them. And so that's one way that I really see success. I mean, we need to be doing more analysis on that and I'll be doing, you know, higher level stuff. Like, like right now, just the way we collect data makes it really difficult to compare people who didn't get promotions to the people who did and like what touches did they have and sort of our data is in a bunch of different places. So we have some struggles with that, but that's sort of the the meta level. And then I also look at, um, I also look at things like DEI metrics. So one thing we're looking at now is like of the people who are using our programs, what's the, you know, what people of color, how many, what percentage of people of color, what percentage of, of gender equity do we have? And so, um, you know, we've shown pretty good results there, but we have some weird ones where for some reason, like mission library is used overwhelmingly by white people. Why? I don't know. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to like, why is that the case? And is it because of how we're offering it? Is it because of how we're advertising it? So my point is that like, I've measured a lot of different things over the years. Some of them have been very useful and some of them have not, but it's been a really good exercise to constantly just try to measure things, see if it tells you anything, and if it doesn't drop it and move on to the next thing. But yeah. I don't know that L and D 
has it's very very hard to say like a straight like hey we have ROI we're saving the business this much because at the end of the day we are a cost center and and we can't change that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's totally right, and I and I think you make an excellent point about just like with all things planning and design, like planning is great, but, but only as long as you don't get stuck in like a planning trap of you're just like thinking and thinking. And so you're right in that we often talk about, hey, we need to figure out what the end goal is. We need to figure out the metrics beforehand. We need to do all that stuff. But especially at a startup or especially if you're just trying to do something different, you might not know. You just might yeah. not get it. I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, you know, with my background at SpaceX, that's obviously a big way that they go is just like, just just launch it. Like, let's just go. <laughs> and and I remember seeing an interview for, for anybody, you know, right now in, in South Texas, they're undergoing a massive campaign with Starship, which is their newest mm-hmm. rocket. And a few years ago, they were doing a test campaign of the second stage of that rocket where they were launching it like 12 kilometers into the air and then bringing it back down and having it land. And the first three of them all failed. They like come down and like smash into the ground and explode in this massive explosion. And I remember hearing an interview with Elon talking about it where he said that in all of those missions, the reason for failure had not even been on their list, like top 10 list yeah. of like yeah. likeliest reasons to fail. So you just don't know, like you, you need to think ahead a little bit, but you gotta, you gotta do it. And then, and then learn. And then just like you said, make sure you have a plan of how am I going to learn from this once I do it? Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's fantastic. So, so with all that, that iteration, what do you think what do you think have been some of the biggest the biggest wins, the biggest successes over over these last couple of years? Definitely the top one is the building of our internship program. Um, so I worked with, I, I ended up hiring a technical training program manager to build technical internships basically, because I, I, I tried to have a bunch of interns come on and it was very like haphazard and I just didn't know enough technically. And so it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't working sustainably, we couldn't scale it. And so we brought someone on and he built out this absolutely gorgeous training program to get people from sort of a very low level, like Linux, AWS knowledge into DevOps engineers. And that program has been awesome. Like it genuinely, like, it's just because you're right. Like you prep and you prep and you prep and you're like, I hope this works, but you so often don't see the reasons why something would fail. And so it's pretty awesome when you prep and it actually works. And you're like, We did all of this work and, and this succeeded. And so we did, so right now we have, um, and you know, we're small, so these are little numbers, but we have five of our former interns currently working as DevOps engineers. We have one more who's going to come onto the team this year, but, um, yeah, it was, it was just such a great program because he built in so, so much study time, but so much shadowing time. And we, and, and we were able, we had the flexibility that as we were in flight, we were able to change things. So so we found out we had a bunch of errors in how we'd set up the shadowing for some of the departments. And so my program manager went in, embedded himself in the departments, learned a lot more about how they operated and was able to get traction with them and, and get the interns a lot more work and, and up level the shadowing to a better way. So that's been a really cool program. Um, and all, and we've also had great diversity with that. So altogether, all of our interns, I think we have had 75%, yeah, 75% racial diversity and 50% gender diversity. So getting you know all these people into mission cloud into these cloud careers that's been so cool and that's not just the six i was talking about that's sort of overall in the whole program but so that's been an awesome one um i think it's it's just a testament too to like people can learn if you teach them things you know if you make the investment and you do it like they can just learn the things you know it's hard it takes effort but it's not like i don't know i think i think people at companies get really entrenched to this idea of like well like 
I need to bring someone who can just hit the ground running and they have to know everything already. And it's like, okay, none of us knew everything already when we started our job. So that's yeah. ridiculous. And, and also like, these are not impossible things to teach. These are very possible. So that was really cool to see. Um, some of the other successes, I think uh, some of the more structured mentorship programs we've, we've set up have been really great. Um, one thing I've always kind of hated about mentorship programs is that if they're just awkward, you know, you kind of like, here's a person, here's another person, bam, go do something. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we, we set it up much more structured where we identified what the person needed, matched them specifically with another person, had like specific reasons why they were matched and what career advice, you know, they could provide for that person, had a bunch of background documentation to help them. Like, here's how you set up your meetings. This is the expectation of what you're going to talk about. This is how many times we want you to, to meet with them. So having that structure helped because I know for myself, like I always feel very shy with people who I want to be my mentor. And it's like, are you sure you want to talk to me? Are you sure? You know, and, and eventually I just won't, you know, I just won't reach out. So yeah, I wanted that. And, and that was a really great, in the analysis we did of our evolutions, 50% of people who were matched with a mentor had a promotion or a role change. So like, that was like by far the biggest predictor of whether someone was going to move up in their career, which I think is supported in outside data as well, that mentorship programs are like really, really, really good for people's careers. So yeah. we want to keep doing that. Um, if, if I could pause you on, on the mentorship program, because I think I love how you were talking about how deliberate you were with, with the connections. Um, were you, was that because of, you know, simply because of your size, you were able to be much more hands-on because of the scale of it? How did you practically go about trying to make those connections and make sure that they were so deliberate? Yeah, it was just, it was very manual. Um, people would okay. apply in an application form and in that application form was, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And we had like pretty specific prompts of like, what, yeah. you know, what industry do you want? What level of person are you looking for? What are the exact things that you are looking out of this relationship? So we had that and then I would just go in and read it. And then I had a list of people kind of just in my head um, of like, you know, people at mission who I thought would be good mentors, but then I also often reached out to networks for that. So all of our C-suite, I would ask, okay, we're looking for this type of person. Do you have anyone in mind that you could connect like in this industry? Um, so it is a manual lift. I, you know, right now we're trying to figure out how do we expand it? How do we scale it? But right now it literally is go in, find someone that fits and match them. And then um, we're going to be using a program that you recommended, Enborder, to start doing nice. more of the automated introductions over the program. So sending nice. emails to people like, Hey, you've been matched. This is why you need to meet now. The next month, did you meet? Like, what happened? Meet again. You know, we're, we've got all these prompts. But um, so automating the follow-up, but I think the beginning part still has to be pretty manual. Yeah, the, you know, the the military person inside me is like screaming about scale and like, ah, yeah. like you have to be able to scale it for it to be a solution. But, but it's not true. I mean, it's something that I've really had to learn since leaving the military um, is really, it's, it's a lesson that I, I think was best encapsulated, encapsulated when I learned about the story of Airbnb and when mm -hmm. they first got started and they were struggling getting users and, and getting people to, to rent their, rent their homes. And so they just went out to, well, they went out to the first few people who were on the platform. Uh, they're like early super users and just like went to their homes and did photography for them. Like they were doing it and mm -hmm. asked them all personally. And the takeaway that they always say is like, sometimes in order to succeed, you have to start unscalable. Mm -hmm. Like, like you have to do the unscalable things, figure out what works without worrying about scale and then figure out how to scale it, which is, it sounds exactly like what you're doing right now. I think a lot of people, myself included, 
may not have been willing to put in the work, do do that initial program launch mm. simply because I'm like, but there's no way to scale this. It's like, well, first you got to figure out if it works back to your point of like, just putting it, just putting it out there, like do the unscalable thing, figure out what works and then figure out how to scale what works. Se- seems like the lesson there to me. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's funny because I was actually wanting to coach my team on this a little bit you know, this week I've been thinking about this because I feel like there's a resistance to getting involved in projects when you don't have all the answers of what you're going to do. Yes. Um, so we like, we need to figure out a way to implement skill assessments. Like we're, we've been using a program called skills based to do skill assessments, but it's all self report. So someone's like, well, I think I'm a three out of four. I don't know. And they just put it in. And we did that kind of as a stopgap of like, we just need something and we need a database of people we can search and what their skills are. So let's just do this and I'll figure it out later. But now we need to figure out a way to implement a skill assessment. And that's like really hard to do. And, yes. you know, if you don't have a giant corporate subscription to some of the big platforms who potentially can do it for you, although often their skill assessments aren't that good, you know, you have to build it in-house, which is an enormous proposition. But the thing is like, we need it. So yeah. let's just, so my, what I'm trying to coach people on is like, just, just do a thing, just try it, just try a thing. I don't care what it is. Like literally just go talk to one person and be like, I'm gonna ask you a million questions and see if I can get at it. And then let's see what we can do from that. But like, especially when you're thinking about like business goals and things like that, like you just have to do the thing. Like we know we have an issue with our interview process, not catching some people who maybe don't have some skills that they think they have or that they say they have. And then later we find out that they actually don't have the skill. And then suddenly, whoa, we have to go backwards and do a big skill development, a big learning plan and all this stuff. And now we're, you know, three months in, now we're six months in and they still don't know the thing. And it's just, so so can we eliminate that time? Can we just do yeah. a skill up front? That must be done. We have to do it. Like it is a business necessity. So just do something, <laughs> like something yeah. is better than anything sometimes. And just, yeah. let's just try, you know? Yeah, I, I, love, I love that lesson. I think for anybody listening to, if you want to check it out or anybody listening wants to check it out, I'll link it in show notes. I do have on uh, the Better Radio Studios YouTube channel, there is a video on how to launch a simple skill strategy in your organization. So I don't know if it'll solve your problems, but (laughs) but I think it's, it it, it falls in line a hundred percent with what you're talking about though, is you kind of just have to start somewhere. And I think we do get stuck trying to solve the last Sometimes it's 20%, sometimes it's 5%, sometimes it's 1%. And we're just stuck on that 1% that doesn't fit into the solution. And it's like, just forget about them at first. Like, just like, just like, you'll get there. Like, you have to be able to come back and solve it. But just, you gotta, you gotta start moving forward before you can do anything. Awesome. Well, that this has been a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much for all this. I think there's a lot of great lessons in there. Any final thoughts or lessons that you have from your first couple years um, at a company that you'd like to share with other kind of, you know, smaller learning development teams? Boy, there's so many. That's a big, um, that's a big question. <laughs> I know. Like, wow. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the fail fast lesson is, is sort of there of just like do something yeah. and you will fall on your face so many times. And I, I think I fall into this trap a lot too. When you are, because the first two years I was at Mission, I was the only person on my team and now we have a bigger team, but I was it. And so, and I think a lot of listeners out there probably are the same, the same way. They're the only yeah. person. And that can be a really tricky part to be in because you, 
because you are a learning person, you are expected to have all of the answers. Mm. And it can be really difficult to say, like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know how to build that. I don't know what that means. I don't know what what is good here. And so I think, um, and this is something I'm, I'm, I really struggle with, is just saying, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, like, I know you're asking for something. I don't know what to do here. I don't know yeah. the answers. Like, we don't actually have to have all the answers. And I'm still working on what to do to, you know, figure out, like, how, then where do you go? But I think a lot of it is building the community. One of the most powerful things that I found when I came to Los Angeles was finding the learning and development community where I met you was was having other professionals and being like, oh my God, I'm not alone anymore. You know, yeah. like, like we're so, we can be so isolated in our companies, even at small companies and finding those other people that are out there that are doing this work is so unbelievably valuable. So if anyone's listening and you want to add me on LinkedIn, please, I would love to talk to other L&D professionals. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah, that's such, I think you're so spot on. That's one of the things that I love about the L&D community is it is a, it's just a great community. We have lots of good, there's, there's great conferences, there's great events, there's a great space on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, it's, it's really great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Carrie. It's been a great discussion. Um, have, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you liked the discussion, make sure to hit like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. As a reminder, if your team is struggling keeping up with the training development demands of your organization, we want to help. Better Everyday Studios is a full-service instructional design team that can help you with everything from ideation to actual content creation and delivery. Please reach out to us using the link in the episode notes below. Have a great day.